0: This time, Danny DeVito becomes pregnant, who knew? (laughs) But Garth doesn't (laughs) mouth the words at all, he's he's just mouthing, like, opening his mouth up and down like a puppet. (laughs) Now, let's get this show started. Hello everyone, you are listening to Snippets of Critically Optimistic. If you like what you hear, come join us as we create fun and exciting double features that pair two films together with interesting themes. We even offer up some shorter shows where we talk about new films to just hit theaters and various topics within the filming community. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts, and we release on a bi-weekly schedule every other Tuesday. We love to include our audience by answering questions on the show or reading feedback. So get listening and be part of the Critically Optimistic Friends. See you then. Why, hello, and welcome to a FilmSpark special. This is a seven-part special to break down and deep dive into the lore of the Blair Witch and the associated films. This is part one, where I discuss the beginning of the phenomenon known as the Blair Witch. So grab a snacky snack and get comfy as we dive down the Blair Witch rabbit hole together. What is The Blair Witch? Blair Witch is an American horror media franchise created by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez, distributed by Artisan Entertainment, which is now known as Lionsgate, and produced by Haxan Films that consists of three films and various additional media. The development of the franchise's first installment, The Blair Witch Project, started in 1993. Murrick and Sanchez wrote a 35-page outline of a story with the dialogue to be improvised. Filming began in '97 and lasted eight days. The film follows the disappearance of three student filmmakers in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary on the local legend known as the Blair Witch. After premiering at the 99 Sundance Film Festival, the film was released on July 30, 1999 after months of publicity during a controversial promotional campaign. The film went on to be a massive commercial success, and a sequel, Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, was released on October 27, 2000. A second official sequel, Blair Witch, was released on September 16, 2016. A series of video games, books, novels, and comic books were released to accompany the films. The backstory for the film is a legend created by Merrick and Sanchez, which is detailed in The Curse of the Blair Witch, a mockumentary broadcast on the Sci-Fi Channel in 99. Prior to the release of the Blair Witch project, Sanchez and Merrick also maintained a website at blairwitch.com, which added further details to the legend. The fictional tale describes the murders and disappearances of some of the residents of Blair, Maryland. The fictitious former name of Berkersville, Maryland, from the 18th to the 20th century. According to the legend, residents always blame these occurrences on the ghost of Ellie Kedwood, also a fictitious person, a Blair resident executed in 1785 by exposure for practising witchcraft. The mockumentary presents the legend as real, complete with a manufactured newspaper article, newsreels, television news reports, and staged interviews in an attempt to convince viewers of its legitimacy. According to Ben Rock, the man who created the backstory for Haxon, he took inspiration from the real Maryland legend of the woman, Muldire. The Legend of Muldire The Legend of Muldire is an oral history folktale that has been told in the region of St. Mary's County, Maryland for decades, if not centuries. Local legend keeps that Mole Dyer was a 17th century colonist in Leonardtown, Maryland. Dates surrounding the origin of the folktale are hazy, but the consensus is that the events took place during a February in the late 1690s, during the Maryland Witch Trials, that resulted in multiple acquittals and one recorded death. There are currently no known primary sources, census data, or otherwise firmly historical evidences to prove that the events of this legend even occurred. Records of town colonial period are often considered incomplete, since many were lost in the fire that destroyed the town courthouse on the 8th of March 1831. Despite dubious sourcing, claims made to verify the story will often cite the following. Several immigration records show that Mary Dyer, Marge Dyer and Maligo Dyers were transported to Dorchester County, Maryland in October 1677 on a ship commanded by Captain Thomas Taylor. In the late 1600s, Mole was a nickname for Mary, along with any female name beginning with the letter M. A great epidemic occurred in southern Maryland in 1697-98. In the 18th of August 1892 edition of the St. Mary's Beacon, edition 604, volume L2, Joseph F. Morgan wrote that Mole lived in the area for many years and that her cottage was buried while Cotton Mather held sway in the land of the Puritans. There were several witchcraft trials in Maryland starting in 1654 and continuing until 1712. Rebecca Fowler of neighbouring Calvert County was hung as a witch on the 9th of October, 1685. In recent years, community efforts have attempted to revive the legend of Mole Several links have been made, even by the St. Mary's County Government, to an allegedly real woman named Mary Dyer, who was possibly born in Devon, England in 1634, and first shows up in records in 1669, as an indentured servant in the Virgin Islands. In 1677, the same woman would travel by Captain Thomas Taylor's ship in Dorchester, Maryland. It is unclear if this Mary Dyer ever resided or died in Leonardtown. These claims have been taken up and printed in several publications, including the Washington Post, through their veracity is up for debate. In 2021, Leonardtown Mayor Dan Burris declared February 26th to be the Mole Day as a tribute to the town's rich history. The Folk Tale A deadly plague, likely influenza, and poor crops had taken their toll on the small town Leonardtown community, and the particularly harsh winter meant that people were fearful of not making it through its season. A deeply religious and puritanical community, the townsfolk turned to superstition, claiming that the famine, disease, and ice storms were the product of witchcraft. A meeting in the local church determined that Moll Dyer, an older woman who lived on the southern edge of town, was the witch in question, and had called upon the devil to terrorise the people of Leonardtown. Events rapidly escalated and a mob was formed with the intent of running her out of town. Upon arrival, the mob surrounded and set fire to her hut, with Mole barely managing to escape, and run past the crowd into the woods. Some accounts claim Moll Dyer saw the mob approaching and fled quickly with only enough time to grab a light shawl for warmth. Regardless of the telling, she runs for miles until her legs finally give in. Knowing she would die of exposure before sunrise, she found a small boulder and placed her right hand upon it. She then raised her left hand to the moon and called down a curse on the people of Leonardtown. Days later, her body was found frozen to the stone, with her hand still held up towards the sky. The details of the curse are variable depending on the teller but usually fall in the realm of blighted crops, infertility, child mortality, familial misfortune. Her spirit is said to still haunt the land surrounding Leonardtown today, looking for the men who forced her from her home. It is also claimed that a handprint of discoloured stone can occasionally be seen on the Mole Dyer Rock in front of the Tudor Hall mansion. Many supernatural events are reported near the modern-day Mole Dyer Rock, sorry, Mole Dyer Road. A branch off of maryland's route 5 that is claimed to be the site of either her residence or her death reports of shadow people below the wisps a white dog causing accidents a thick unnatural fog and frequent lightning strikes are all common in the area folk tale variations as with all folk tales the story has been passed down through the generations and changes with the telling in 94, Thomas Jabbo conducted a series of interviews with 10 local residents, including a member of the Dyer family, a local historian, and several people from the families that have lived in the county since the 1600s. According to these interviews, Muldier may have come from England, Ireland, Virginia, Kentucky, New England, or Connecticut. She is said to have been a spinster, a widow, a woman scorned in love, or the mother of two sons. She may have she may have been born as a Dyer, or married a man named Dyer. Two people said they had heard her name as Moldy Dyer, and that she was a Native American, likely Chapticoe maid, abandoned by her white lover after the birth of her child. The date of her death varied from the mid-1600s to the late 1700s. As Leonardtown was established as Seymour Town in 1660, this would place her as a very early colonist, most likely English and Catholic. Several people said they thought she had come to Maryland because it was more religiously tolerant than other colonies. Since the Anglican Church was formed about a century prior, and English Catholics often fled to the Americas, to escape persecution an aspect of the tale could be plausible. Mole Dyer's Rock According to the legend, Mole Dyer rested on a large stone before she died, leaving indentations either hands, knees, or both behind. This rock was lost for centuries until 1968 when a writer for the Washington Evening Star, Philip H. Love, read about the legend in a local historical journal and sought to locate the rock. A grocer who lived nearby claimed to have known about the rock since he was a young boy, leading love to the location. In 1972, the 875-pound limestone boulder was moved by the National Guard from a wooded ravine Near Moldier Road to the Leonardtown Courthouse Lawn in front of the old 1876 jailhouse. A simple plaque near the rock read Muldyer Rock circa 1697. The Muldyer Rock sat in this location for nearly 50 years until early 2021, when the St. Mary's County Historical Society relocated the large stone to the grounds of the Tudor Hall, where the Historical Society has its headquarters. Today, the rock sits under a plexiglass covering and has more elaborate plaque detailing the events of the legend. Touching the stone allegedly causes people to feel nauseous, dizzy, or otherwise deeply uncomfortable. It is also said to bring illness and misfortune to one's family. Small offerings, flowers, sweets, trinkets, mittens, and others, are often left near the stone to nullify the effects of the curse. Now on to the filmology, starting with the first piece of media, The Curse of the Blair Witch. Before the release of The Blair Witch Project in '99, the Sci-Fi Channel aired a 45-minute mockumentary about the Blair Witch called Curse of the Blair Witch. The program offers first-hand interviews with several fictional colleagues and relatives of Heather Donahue, Josh Leonard and Michael Williams, including their Montgomery College film professor. One of the highlights of the video is the first mention of Ellie Kedwood, the woman who would go on to become the Blair Witch. Curse of the Blair Witch was created to give credibility to the idea that the events of the Blair Witch Project actually occurred, which was how the film was marketed upon its initial release. Now, I watched this mockumentary for the first time for this series, and I must say if I had known nothing about the Blair Witch prior, this would be very believable. The way they interview the subjects and the production as a whole is very professional. The photos they have mocked up of the missing teens as kids and during school adds that extra touch of authenticity to the claims and really pushes hard to drive the point home that yes, there are three teens missing and this is their story. Overall, The Curse of the Blair Witch is a well-executed piece of mock media that complements the main film well, and when paired as a double feature with the main film, it really helps to drive the narrative that you are watching a real piece of footage shot by teens that have actually disappeared. With that being said, this concludes Episode 1 of The Story of Blair Witch. Ratings and full reviews of each piece of media viewed within this series will be provided in the conclusion episode at the end. I hope you've enjoyed this intro episode and continue to listen along the way for the full seven part series. Again, my name is Ebony and I am the host of the Film Spark podcast. Thank you for listening. You are just listening to the FilmSpark podcast for all your film needs and more. Like what you heard? Give us a shot. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, GoodPods and more. Or follow the socials at film underscore spark underscore pod. You know what? Just follow us on everything. Check out the link tree, linktr.ee forward slash film spark pod. Find us, follow us, give us a shout. We always want to hear from you. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go.